Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. I like how it took you a second, but we screwed with you again. Last week, we did Not Your Seat Sunday. Oh, no, we didn't. Wait, go back a second so everyone can see how we were messing with people. Yeah, usually we'd make you stand up to read the Bible. Remember last week, Not Your Seat Sunday? So we, some of you guys did it. Most of you guys did it. Some of you, we, we kept your names down for a later date, later meeting. Some of you, obstinate is what the word that we use, stayed in your seat. But we just didn't, we weren't going to let you go back into being comfortable again. So if this is your first time here, you have no idea what we're talking about right now. That's totally fine. You'll catch on to it next week when you have to stand up this time. But anyway, you're sitting down now, and this is not what you came for. This is not the show you signed up for, right? Amen. Let's go. Uh, Hi. Welcome to church. My name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to put a big sign back there that says, stick to your notes. And so that's the first thing I see every Sunday. Uh, So I did some traveling this week. And uh, it's fun traveling when you're a pastor because when you sit next to somebody on an airplane or you meet somebody, whatever, and they're like, oh, you're from around here? And you're like, no, I'm from the other side of the country. Inevitably, you get the like, well, what brings you here? Or what do you do for a living? And you get the awkwardness of being like, I'm a preacher or I'm a pastor. And you get that like glazed over look in their face. Uh, And you get a lot of, you get a real good sense of uh, the life somebody's lived by the questions they ask. Uh, in response to that, sometimes you get things like, well, what do you do all week? You know, it must be nice to work two hours a week, you know, uh, and it is nice. Let me just tell you, it's nice only working two hours a week. It's great. <laughs> uh, depending, on, depending on the vibe I'm getting, I'll answer in a number of different ways. Um, usually I'll say some version of, uh, you know, I study a lot. It's a lot of what I do during the week. And uh, there's two things in particular that I tend to study. Uh, That's not all I study. I study like pyramids and stuff sometimes. Um, But two things in particular. Uh, One of them is the Bible, which looks like this, comes in different colors sometimes. Um, But it's the Word of God, right? Amen. That's what we think as a church. We want amen. Chris, this is 11 o'clock service. I got a lot of patience for the 9 o'clock service because they're still waking up, but y'all should be up by now. Y'all should have been to Cracker Barrel. You should be ready, right? It's the Word of God. It's the revelation of who He is. If you want to know what God's like, this is pretty much what our whole church is about. If you're visiting, like, what are these people about? If you want to know what God's like, read the Bible. That's where he says what he's like, how to know him. Uh, and so we spend a lot of time wanting to know what does God say about this and being a church that just tries to talk about what he talks about in the Bible. So I spend a lot of time looking at the Bible. Uh, this is God's word. The second thing I try to spend a lot of time looking at are uh, Christians because we are the people of God. So I, I as a professional person of God. I try to look at the Word of God and then the people of God. Because as you look at the Word of God, you'll find in various ways, Old Testament and New Testament, it says that the people of God are intended to be another revelation of what God is like. So if someone says, hey, I'm curious about what God is like, you can point them to the Bible and say, here's some, this is the clearest picture we have of what God is like. And at the same time, someone can come to our gatherings, they could come to your home, They should, and some of you, this will make you break out in hives a little bit. Uh, Someone should be able to look at the people of God, Christians, and get an idea of what God is like. That's not the sermon we're going to talk about today. Let your mind wander with why. You know, this is why we gather week after week, okay? It's a big deal. So uh, when I look at Christians, um, 
there's just all kinds of weird tension then between the word of God being the revelation of God, the people of God being another revelation of God. And uh, sometimes these don't always fit. Amen. Anybody like already having all their baggage coming up, you know, ways that we fall short. So here's just a real simple example. Uh, We've been in the book of Acts for a minute now. We're almost done, I promise. If you've been reading the book of Acts at home, you see there's just not much Acts left, right? Like, so one way or another, we're almost done. Um, But one thing that you can't escape in the book of Acts, but I would say in the Bible in general, Old Testament and New Testament, is that core to being a Christian is being what the Bible calls a witness. Uh, Sometimes you've heard in the church, can I get a witness? And then someone in the back shouts, Thank you. There it is. We should start doing that. I didn't know that would work. Uh, (laughs) Jesus essentially says it's fundamental to who we are as his people. And maybe you're like, what does it mean to be a witness? Hold on. Don't give him it all at the front end, right? I'll get there. But it says to be a witness. It's core to who we are as his people. One of the, if, if I had to sum up the book of Acts, say, you want to know what the book of Acts is about? Here's one verse. It'd be Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere to the ends of the earth. Uh, So to be a Christian is to be a sent one. Where are you sent to? Everywhere. You're sent here, you're sent there, you're sent everywhere. He says that, I mean, it's pretty, can you put the, yeah, still up there, good. Uh, Telling people about me everywhere. And if that's not all encompassing enough, Jesus summarizes it by saying to the ends of the earth, which some of you won't like this, but the earth is a sphere, right? It's not flat. It's not riding on the back of a turtle. Um, And as a sphere, it just keeps going, right? This is Jesus saying, everywhere, you will be my witnesses everywhere. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't need to have a degree in the Bible to see that to be a Christian is to be one who's sent to go everywhere to tell everyone you see about Jesus, to be his witness. Now, so it's real simple. Like, And if if you don't spend much time reading the Bible, I encourage you to go home and just try it. Like, do the old game, Bible roulette, right? Flip it open and see how far you get before God sends somebody to tell somebody about him. You, can't, you just can't make it very far. Now, if you study Christians, though, so that's what will happen if you study the word of God. Part of it, you'll see that to be a Christian is to be a sent one. But if you study Christians, um, our, especially our brand of Southern Indiana Christian, uh, you'll find something else that's really interesting, I think. Um, the first thing I think you'll see is there's this kind of deep, pervasive, just kind of right below the waterline sense of inadequacy. Uh, And what I mean is we have this sense of this is an appropriate thing to do for someone else. Um, Because I didn't go to Bible college or, you know, I'm just not quite ready for it yet. And we'll hear things that sound good. Like, I love Christians all the time will find really holy ways holy sounding ways to not do the things God calls us to do. And so we'll say things like, I'm just not gifted that way. God hasn't gifted me that way. Uh, And it's kind of just a mask for some fear and some hesitation. And it's an almost universal trait. Uh, I've, I think I can, there's one Christian in our church I can think of that's like, I'll tell Jesus about anybody. And you can probably guess who that is if you buy coffee off of Charlestown Road, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Yeah. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, go buy coffee out Charles on Road, and it'll be real clear. So that's one. They're kind of across the board, 
this fear or this hesitation. I'm just not so sure about doing this. And then second is that produces this almost universal in us sense of guilt because we're supposed to be doing it, right? Um, Again, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know this is how Christians are designed to live, to be witnesses, to be sent ones. And we know we should do it, but we're scared to do it. And then we feel guilty for not doing it. And one of the ways we manage our guilt is by coming to the church and saying things like, it'd be really helpful if Pastor Travis could do his evangelism class again. Um, Which is, we did that last year. We saw several baptisms come out as a result of it. We'll do it again. So I'm not saying the classes are bad. I know I should be doing it, but I'll keep going. I mean, some of you are going to like Bible studies at six different churches because you're just not quite ready yet, right? You haven't quite been trained enough yet. And so once I have enough information, once I get through that new book, once I get through the missionary training on right now media, then I'll be ready. One way or another, most of us find good sounding reasons to sit on the sidelines and and then we delegate this core fundamental identity of who we are as Christians, either to one of the pastors. And so it's like, hey, man, one of my coworkers is interested in Jesus. Could you meet us for lunch one time and share the gospel with him? It's a phone call we get regularly. Uh, Or we delegate it to the extrovert in our community group. I would share my faith, but I'm just an introvert, right? So it's only the people with big personalities that get to talk about Jesus. One way or another, I would say almost all of us in some ways have delegated this fundamental part of who we are to somebody else in the church, or we find some way to convince ourselves that this isn't for us. So what does this have to do with Paul? Well, um, if you here last week, or if you remember last week, and if you don't remember last week, it's okay. There's lots of weeks. I don't remember what I preached on the week before. Uh, But where we left Paul last week is um, he'd been beaten up by an angry mob. Uh, The Romans had come in and essentially saved his life by arresting him and throwing him in prison, and he's waiting for trial. His life's in the balance, and he he gets to talk to this governor, Felix, who starts hearing Paul's story, it's, it's a really interesting interaction. I encourage you to go home and read it in Acts chapter 24. And Felix essentially says, uh, let's talk about this more when it's more convenient, is the phrase that Paul uses, he says, or that Felix uses. He says, I'll call for you when it's a more convenient time for me. And, uh, and the verse after that, we get what sums up this period of, I think this sums up this period of Paul's life uh, pretty well to give us an idea of what's, what's going on for him. So in Acts 24, 27, we get this. After two years went by in this way, Felix was su- succeeded by Porcius Festus. What sticks out? Someone call it out. What sticks out to you about this verse? What? Two years. Hey, man, I'm a little busy right now, but I'm real interested in what you have to say. Uh, let me call you when my schedule comes down a little bit. Two years go by. And this isn't Paul, like, trying to get coffee with his buddy. This is Paul in prison wondering, am I going to die or not? Two years go by. What will I say? What will I do? This uh, Porcius Festus is like, hey, man, just let the Jews kill him. 
and Paul's like, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I want to talk to Caesar. You know, he, he, he kind of plays the authority card here. He's, he's saying like, no, 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 no. Don't let him kill me. I want to talk to Caesar. And so this was part of their law and custom. He gets, he gets to go see the big man. And while he's waiting, he gets to see this king, a man named King Agrippa. And Agrippa says this to him, verse 1 of chapter 26. This is all the same story. He says, you may speak in your defense. So the king gets kind of the rundown, and he says to Paul, okay, let's hear it. What do you have? Now, imagine this. He's about to speak before one of the most powerful men in the world. His life hangs in the balance. And at the same time, he has an amazing opportunity. Paul's friends are being persecuted. They're being scattered. They're being thrown in prison. They're being killed. And this is the guy who could change it. So yes, Paul could be killed, but think if he can give a compelling argument to Agrippa, he could change, he, he could change the circumstances of his friends. What if Agrippa becomes a Christian? What if Paul can say just right? How much pressure would you be feeling in this moment? Think about how much pressure you feel. Just think about like when your neighbor says, hey, where were you guys when you come pulling in the driveway? after church on Sunday. Oh, we were ch- church, right? Please don't ask me anything else. Please don't ask me anything else. Last week, we talked about when, when we as Christians, when Christians suffer well, opportunities are going to come from that. There'll be, there'll be opportunities to explain the hope that we have. There'll be opportunities to explain the peace that we have. And even if, even if God hasn't put us in a place to suffer right now, if you just live a faithful, normal Christian life, people are going to notice. If you do crazy things, you realize how crazy it's starting to look to just be a normal Christian right now? And by a normal Christian, I mean to say things like, uh, I will remain faithful to my wife of the opposite sex and I won't look at pornography. Or I will go to church on Sundays. Or I will give some of my money away. I mean, just like normal Christian things. I will serve other people. I will pray for those I don't, I don't necessarily agree with. If you do normal Christian stuff, eventually people are going to notice. They're going to ask questions. And I... I think many of us live in a quiet fear of what we will say when those questions come. Or at some point, we we saw somebody post on Facebook, preach the gospel at all times, but use words when necessary, and put one of a dozen different theologians' names on there. And then we we say, please, Lord, please, Lord, let let words never be necessary, right? (laughs) I think just so many of us live afraid that we're going to say it wrong or that someone will be rejected and we get to be labeled as one of those Christians. So again, take a moment and think about the situation that Paul is in. For Not for all of us, but for most of us, being a Christian has cost us next to nothing. Next to nothing. And at worst, it may cost us the approval of a friend or 
I don't know, someone may say something funny about us behind our backs. But think about Paul here. This is life or death for him, literally life or death. And there's at the same time incredible potential for the church here. There's the lure of power and influence. And do y'all not feel that sometimes? I'm not, I talked about politics a little bit the last couple of weeks. I'm not gonna talk about it again, but y'all, the Christians, man, if we could just get our guy in the White House, if we could just get our guy on the Supreme Court, if we could just, woo, how much, boy, if we could just, how bad Christians want power, how bad we wanna be influential. Oh boy, do we want it. You see, man, Paul, he's, he's with one of the most powerful people in the world right now. What's he gonna say? The temptation for power that must have been going on here, the temptation for his own comfort, his own safety, it's his life. You might be surprised what Paul decides to share with Agrippa. First off, so we're up to chapter 26 now. He says to him in verse two, he says, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today. And again, this is two years after being in prison. And the whole thing started with him getting beaten almost to death. And he says, man, I'm thankful that I get to stand before you today. He, he was aware that as God's people, we are ministers of reconciliation. We carry the hope of the world. The good news that life is found in Christ. Apart from Christ, we are lost, wandering in the darkness. But because Christ has come, light has come into the world. We can be reconciled, restored into our relationship with God. That's what you were designed for. Some of you come this morning saying, I've just been looking. Money doesn't work. Sex doesn't work. My relationships doesn't work. None of this stuff works. And the good news of the gospel is you were designed for God. That's what will work. And Paul lived with this deep awareness that we as Christians are sent to the world with the best news the world has ever known. Uh, imagine that you got to be the one who gets to go to a couple who's been struggling with infertility for years and years and years and gets to be the one to say to them, it's twins. Or you get to be the one who walks into a hospital room and says, the cancer's gone. Or think about the weight, the, the privilege, the honor you would feel to be the one to bring that kind of news. And Paul is here standing before the king, aware that he is carrying the hope of the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an astounding privilege, not only to be one who's saved by Christ. You realize he could have just saved us and been done with it, but he saves us. He brings us into his family, and then he sends us out to join him in his mission. And Paul was aware of all of this and counted himself fortunate. How many of us look at sharing the gospel or living as a witness as this duty that we have to bear? Maybe you grew up in a church where it's just hammered on you. You got to do this because we got to get attendance up because I'm really insecure as a preacher and I'll feel better if the church gets bigger. You know, like, I don't know what it is that drives some of these churches to do this stuff. But Paul knew, and my prayer is that we have the sense of the, the privilege we have as God's children, not just to be saved, but to be enlisted in the family business, that he would allow us to participate in this. And so from a deep place of privilege, he begins to speak in his defense. What does he say? You might be surprised. Years of preparation, with his life in the balance, perhaps the most pivotal moment of his life, this is what Paul says. I'm gonna read an extended chunk here. He says, on the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. 
in my obsession against them. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then I asked, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. The Lord replied, um, the Lord replied, now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see what he's saying there? It's easy to get caught up in the content which is important. He's saying, you sanctified Satan to God, darkness to light. But this should sound somewhat familiar because we've rehearsed what he just said several times now in the book of Acts. Paul is sharing with him his own story. This is how Paul came to faith in Christ. Paul is sharing his testimony of all of the things he could say to Agrippa, the most powerful man in this region at the time, with Paul's life hanging in the balance and maybe the future of the church hanging in the balance, of everything that Paul could share. What does he say? He says, hey, let me tell you about my life, Agrippa. Let me tell you what I've been through. And I'm not saying that your story, your testimony is the only thing that you should ever talk about or it's the only thing that you need to have any awareness of, but your personal story of how Jesus saved you and is transforming you even now is the most powerful tool God has given you to live as his witness. If you are a Christian, it's the primary way that he's equipped you. Think about that word witness. We use it in our legal system all the time. Have you ever heard someone be like, man, I witnessed a crime, but before I can get on the witness stand, the lawyers are making me go to witness training class so I can know how to testify. Some of you are like, oh, I've never heard of that, right? Like, no, the, the witnessing is the training. What is a witness? It's someone who experiences something and shares what they've experienced. If you experience something, that is your training. What do you do to witness, to be a witness, is to simply share what it is you've experienced. The only prerequisite to sharing your faith is having an encounter with Jesus. That's the only training that you need. And it, it's a combination of mind-blowing and profoundly encouraging to me that in the most pivotal moment of his life, with so much hanging in the balance, what does Paul share? He shares his story. If you're here and you're a Christian, you have everything Paul had. So how do you do it, though? It sounds easy, right? What do we do? Just black babble? Well, I was born in 1972, and... Paul does some really interesting things here that I think can be real helpful for us. And my my hope in all this, again, is to be helpful. uh, And I hope that you guys leave with a sense of like, oh my gosh, one, this is not so difficult. Um, This is not so difficult. And maybe with a degree of excitement at the beautiful simplicity, who but God could make it so simple? Um, And maybe, dare I say, 
Maybe just a little bit of excitement. Maybe just a little bit of excitement. Uh, I think when you start seeing it this way, you'll be shocked the opportunities you have to share your story. See, when you've got like the five, the five formulas or whatever, like here's the 18 step points that I've got to take someone across, it, take, it can take a little bit of judo to get somebody into that, right? But once you get them in, then you plow them through and you, whatever. But if you're just looking for ways to share your story, you, you'll be shocked at the opportunities God will give you. So the first thing I, I think that we see in Paul, my encouragement to you is to own your story. You see how grounded Paul is when he's talking to Agrippa? Um, what I mean is there's a sense that he's accepted his own life. Um, he treats it as his own. He's not keeping something at arm's length. Uh, you notice he doesn't sugarcoat it. He shares some of the worst parts of his life. Uh, yeah, he's, you know how easy it could have been to leave, leave some of this stuff out? Uh, he says, yeah, I, I persecuted Christians. I persecuted the saints. And he could have left it at that. And, and we had been like, man, Paul, you were a bad dude. But he even goes on to say, and, and when people wanted to kill them, I voted yes on it. You know, he even, he, he shared some of the worst parts about his story. Do you realize what that looks like in our culture that is so image driven, so driven by man, can we be successful? Can we have it all together? When we hang our stuff out there, when we admit our failures and share even the ugly worst parts about our story, that's one of the strongest ways we show the gospel to be true. What does the gospel say? It says you're a failure, but when you trust Christ, his success becomes your success. What makes you valuable? What makes you beautiful? It's that Christ lived perfectly. He died in my place and his resurrection from the dead is evidence that one day I will be raised from the dead too. What makes me worthwhile? What makes me good? Fill in the blank for you. What is it that you're longing for? It's Jesus. Well, what does that look like? You, this is how messed up I was. Do you see this ugly thing about me that most of you spend your time hiding? I can share it freely. Why? Because I'm safe. It is well with my soul, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done. Christians don't confess we need an assistant, right? We don't praise Jesus, our Lord and assistant or our Lord and helper outer, right? He's a savior. And if you need a savior, it means you need saved, right? You need rescued, which means you're dead to use the language of the scriptures. It's okay to share that. And at the same time, uh, Paul had years of processing some of this stuff, not just his years in prison, but he had over a decade doing, I'm not really sure what, after this conversion experience on the road to Damascus. My point is, this is a little pro tip to throw out there. Don't share in public what you haven't processed in private. Uh, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean like everyone you meet, you should be like, hey, here's the worst thing about me. Here's the hardest trauma that I've ever experienced in life. Like, you may not be ready for that yet, and that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian or it doesn't, whatever. Uh, the, the point is, good and bad, God has authored your story, and he's carrying you through it. Your story contains the good news of the gospel. If you divorce yourself from your story or try to act like your life has been something other than it is, you lose you. Your story has made you, and it is in your story that God has revealed himself to you, and he has saved you. To own your story means to look at it, all that it is, and say, thanks be to God. This is the life that he's given to me, and I'll own it. I will treat it like it's mine. Uh, some of you guys think that your story is boring, right? Because you never hit your stepdad in the head with a bat and got smuggled to Mexico by drug dealers and Jesus appeared to you on a mountain or, you know, all these crazy conversion stories that we get so obsessed with. And like, I understand there's a certain appeal to having these wild conversion stories. Uh, 
but you should thank God that you had good parents that took you to church and that you had a relatively normal, stable life. Um, Yeah, right? The pastors are like, yes, thank God for the good parents who took their kids to church. You know what I'm saying? Uh, If you think your story is boring and not worth sharing, you have not owned your story. Uh, In every story, fundamentally, every life, if you are a Christian, is the story of someone who was dead in their sins, who was brought back to life by the Spirit of God. And if that's boring to you, you don't know the gospel. There is no boring story. And so if you look at your life and it's like, I just got saved by Jesus. It's like, you just got saved. The God of the universe looked at you in all of your mundane, suburban, boring life or whatever you looked at it. And he said, my life is not, like God is saying, my family will not be complete without you. I choose you. There are no boring stories. There are no messes that we have to hide and that we can't share. At some point, your story is the vehicle for the gospel that God has given to you. You don't need to make it extreme and you don't need to sanitize it. Owning it is like, this is the life I've lived. Thanks be to God. This is my life. I own it. Pain, boring, whatever it's been, this is the life God has given to me. And part of owning it, what we see Paul do next is this ability to define your story, to to categorize it as you think about sharing it. You notice how Paul, there's kind of three simple movements that he shares. He talks about his life before Jesus. He said, I persecuted Christians. I threw him in prison. I voted for him to die. He talks about his encounter with Jesus, this conversion experience that he had, which I think it's so funny. It's not like a moment, right? Jesus shows up to him in a moment, but there's days. There was this process here. Some people I've talked to that are like, well, I can't say like on June 7th, 1989, I became a Christian. Well, neither could Paul really, you know what I mean? He's like, sometime around this period of time, there was these weeks and I'm not really sure how long it was. And then God made me a Christian. My point is Jesus changed me. There was this conversion experience. And then he talks about his ongoing life with Jesus. As you think about your story, these are helpful categories. What was your life like before Jesus? How did Jesus change you? And what does life look like after that? There's incredible power in seeing your life this way or in sharing your story this way. Think about Um, someone could have said to Paul, like, listen, man, you expect me to believe all that stuff about lightning, brilliant light, you got blinded, a spirit knocked you off your horse. Come on, Paul, that's nonsense. What they couldn't disagree with is, one, that Paul helped murder Christians, right? That's fact. I mean, you can't argue with that. That's his story. You can't argue with the fact that Paul hated Gentiles. It's people who weren't Jewish. Can't argue with that. You, you can't argue with the fact that something happened and now Paul was spending almost all of his time with Gentiles and the people that he once hated, he now loved. The people who he once threw in prison, he was now a Christian. You can't argue with the fact that Paul was different. So he lays out the story. Here was, here's what I was like before Jesus. Something happened here. You can disagree with this or not, but look at me now. You can't argue with the facts. You can try to say Paul's lying, but he was different. You, can, you can't meet Jesus and not be changed somehow. Do you know how you've changed? And I know you've got a long way to go. 
um, God knows you're not all the way there yet. But if you've met Jesus, you are different. And people can disagree with uh, whatever. Supernatural stuff, Bible's the word of God, please. I hear all that stuff. But what they can't disagree with is who I was then and who I am now. Who I was five years ago and who I am now. Do you know how Jesus is changing you? Christian, there's so much power in your story. And you know it. It's all right before you. Maybe you've got to do a little work at looking at it, defining it. What were you like? What did you want? What were you looking for? How has Jesus shown up? How has he shown you a better way? What do you like now? There is power in your story, Christian, more than you could possibly believe. And what we see here at the end, I think is a beautiful word of peace to those of us who are so filled with anxiety, so concerned about our performance. Uh, If that could be perhaps, I think, well, again, I wish I had that stick to your notes thing up. Maybe the greatest barrier to our own growth here is how addicted most of us are to our performance, um, how badly we want to do it right. And so I can almost even feel some of you being like, well, okay, life before Jesus, conversion life after Jesus. I better make sure I explain this right. And if I do this right, he says, my story is powerful, and then I can go share this, and then they will get saved. And I'm just telling you, like, get, get ready. It may not go the way you think. So watch what happens. Paul shares his story. Well, let me step back for a second. I've heard hundreds of stories before of how God's changed people. Maybe you spent time in your community group and you have those first couple awkward meetings when it starts and everyone shares their testimony, right? That's what Christians call their story, their origin story, how they got their superpowers or whatever, right? This is how we all ended up here. And in every single one, at some point, I've heard some version of the same phrase. Literally every story I've ever heard. Not necessarily the, the exact words, but it's this core nugget, the same phrase. And then God changed my heart. Some version of that. You know, I, was, I had all these friends talking to me. They were bringing me to church. They gave me this book to read. And then, you know, one day I was in the bathtub and just, it all clicked. I heard this song and then God changed my heart. Uh, I was driving down the road and I said, God, if you're there, Uh, I just need you to make it clear to me. And I hit a pothole and the radio came on and then there's this preacher and now I'm a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like, look at your own story. Look at your own life. And at some point, you know, there's this time where it's like, and then I just realized I had to do it different. Something just happened. Something clicked. Something changed. At some point, God stepped into your story. God changed your heart. And I would bet all of the Christians you know would say something along the same lines. At some point, God stepped in and just something happened. And now, and then it turned the flip, flipped the switch for me. But then most of us, when it comes to sharing our faith, we put all this pressure on ourselves to do the changing now. So for me, God changed my heart and he changed the heart of all of the Christians I know. But when I go to share the gospel with somebody, I put all of this pressure on me to change their mind. 
I've never heard somebody say, man, this Christian was just dogging me. And every question I had, he blew me up and he proved me wrong. And eventually he's like, I give up, man. You're smarter than me. All of your arguments are airtight. I guess I better become a Christian now. Like, it's just never, I've heard someone be like, I don't know what to say to you, but I'm just too filth and foul done and I'm out of here. You know, flipping out on another Christian. I've never heard somebody argued into Christianity. At some point, something happens. Watch how Agrippa responds to what Paul says. Agrippa said to Paul, you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? <laughs> it's like, yo, it's kind of worst case scenario, right? What would we respond? You're, so you, you finally share the gospel with your coworker in the break room, and he says this, and you're like, no, 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 what I meant to say, hang on, I don't think you understood what I was trying to say. Let me, let me, let me step back for a second. Uh, what I was trying to say was, and, you know, let me repeat myself. No, you, uh, hang on a second now. How uncomfortable we would get, how rejected we would feel, panicky. We got to chase this down. We can't let them leave mad. This feels like worst-case scenario to me. Watch what Paul says. Paul replies, short time or long, I pray, God, that not only you, but all who are listening to me today might become what I am except for these chains. Paul's like, listen, Agrippa. (laughs) A funny name. Whether you do or you don't, I'm going to pray to God that you become like I am, except you don't go to prison. Like Paul's like, I've done my part, man. I've done my part. It's God that changed me. And it's going to take God to change you. This is what happened to me. Jesus changed me. and He can change you, Grippa. So whether that's today or tomorrow, I'm going to pray that you become like me. Paul left the changing to God. You see the beautiful freedom there? How has God equipped us to live as a witness? He's given you a story. He's changed you. He's shown up for you. He's given you everything you need to do that. And he said, go be my, what was the word again? My witness. Notice he doesn't say, go be my changer. Go be my transformer. Go be my convincer. Go be my convictor. None of that. He says, go be my witness. Whether today or tomorrow, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, how little pressure there should be on the life of a Christian. Urgency without pressure. Boy, I hope I get to share with you what Jesus has done for me. Christian you have experienced something. Maybe, maybe the only change that's happened to you, maybe you're still doing the stuff you wish you didn't do, and now you just wish you didn't do it. Before, you are really happy about doing it. Now, you just wish you didn't do it. I don't know what it is. Some of you, maybe will leave here trying to convince yourself that you haven't experienced something. Listen, if you can say Jesus is Lord, you're different. If you call in the name of Jesus, you're different. You've experienced something, and he's still changing you. If you're saved, you have all you need to live as Jesus' witness. Own your story, define it, and let God use it. Jesus said, you will be my witness, so go witness. You don't have to change people. You don't have to transform people. That's the Spirit's job. Thanks be to God. So whether it was in a moment or it took years for you, Let's remember how Jesus meets us in all of our stories and what changes 
us. And I hope this is a deep encouragement to you. I hope you leave with maybe just a little sense of how powerful you are, that you have the spirit of God living inside of you and you have an amazing story that is irrefutable evidence that the gospel is true. Uh, On the night Jesus was betrayed, he looked at his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. What has he done for you? He died for you. He paid the penalty for your death. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. What has he done for you? If you're really struggling, here's a real clear picture. He's wiped away the guilt of your sin. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is the cup that seals your relationship with God. This is my blood poured for you. What has he done for you? He's made you safe with God. He sealed your relationship with God. He said, drink this in remembrance of me. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you realize there's a way you don't have to hide your failures? You realize there's a way that you can be free from your guilt and free from your shame? And that's found in receiving the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. It's in receiving relationship with Christ. Uh, And that's your invitation today. If you want to know more about that, there'll be men and women up front afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, Christian, you've experienced something. Um, Man, I hope you see it. I hope God brings to mind all the ways that you're different, big and small. And my prayer is that we would leave here filled with his presence, empowered to go live as his witnesses. Our tradition is to come forward and rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice. The wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it, and there will be gluten-free elements to my left, your right. You can use whichever you'd like. I'll pray for us, and then you can come forward as you're ready. Let's pray.